sixth chapter of Acts. I appreciate our deacons. They're men of God. And I believe that they are New Testament men of God. And men who have purposely, willingly, willfully put their lives in the main course of New Testament standards. And tonight, this is a special message in the ordination service of Charlie Cowan. It is also a message to all of our deacons. It is a message from God to the preacher. It is a message to all of us. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for what we have already experienced here tonight. We thank Thee for those who have sacrificially pledged and given to the bus ministry, and the bus debt. We pray Thou wilt help us to get this debt completely paid off. Thank You, Lord, for that nearly $10,000 that has been given today, up to date, to date. Thank You for the whatever that is, over maybe 17,000 that has been pledged. Lord, our hearts just rejoice. We give you the glory. But we would pray thou wilt help us to get that thing paid off entirely. And now, Father, give our hearts and minds openness to understand what God is saying to us. Bless these dear men who serve in the ministry of the diaconate. We pray especially thou wilt touch Charlie Cowan and his wife Patsy and their family. And may the mighty power of God rest upon them in its fullness as they come into this ministry of servants, servants to the Lord, servants in a special way to the Lord's church. Guide our thinking and open the scriptures to us. We ask in Jesus' name, and pray that people here tonight who are not saved would come under the convicting gospel, the spell of the gospel. Oh, Holy Spirit, make Jesus alive and real to people tonight as the only hope for eternity. For Christ's sake, amen. The first ministry of the diaconate, as we understand the scripture, grew out of a determinate need. And I want to read what most Bible students believe is the historical setting of the diaconate. It's Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of the, multi of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not fitting that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look among you for seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, 
and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Teman, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And if you'll turn your Bible two pages to chapter 8, verse 5, you find the fifth result of these deacons. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. First of all, we notice that the ministry of the diaconate grew out of a decided need. There was murmuring among the brethren and sisters. Now that is not unknown in the 20th century. I suppose all through the life of the church, through the Christian movement, from the very dawn of the Christian history, the church has been made up of human beings. We're not angels, and we have not been physically redeemed so that we have perfect bodies and perfect nature. Our spirits have been redeemed. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But within us, there is something that groans and looks forward to the adoption, to wit the adoption, the redemption of our body when we shall be fashioned like unto his glorious body. But that hasn't happened yet. And because of that, there is a humanity in each of us that grumbles, that murmurs, that complains, that gets upset. And this was true in the early church. In that day, there were the Grecian widows and the Hebrew widows, and they were upset with one another. Now, the Grecians and the Hebrews were both in the same church, and it is assumed that the Hebrews were the Jews who were natives of Palestine, and the Grecians were the Jews of the Dispersia who had come back to Palestine and though they were all united in Christ, there was a jealousy among them. You ever heard of jealousy in the Lord's church? Well, deacons, that's where your office and work came from because there was a need and there were people upset with one another and some felt they were being neglected and others felt like somebody else was being favored. And so they came to Peter and James and John and the apostles and they were complaining about it. And, and the Holy Spirit said, uh, Brethren, don't let this thing set you aside from the Word of God and from prayer and from preaching and from getting people saved. Find some men. And men, not just any man, but men who will qualify themselves. And so we see there were specific determinate qualifications beginning in verse 3. Notice the determined qualifications. Brethren, look out among you seven men of, number one, honest report. That means they were on the outside reported of as honest. The outside world felt like these men were men that they could trust. Not just the church. The church knew them. But they needed to be men 
who would be of report so that the community would recognize that they were honest. Number two, men full of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's just as much a command of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit as it is a command of God not to get drunk. And so one of the qualifications for the office of deacon was that the man be filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now what does this mean? Does it mean he had to talk in tongues? Does this mean he had to clap his hands and get all excited? No. What it means is that first of all he was a saved man because a man cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit abiding in his heart. Secondly, it meant that that man had to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's possible to be saved, to have the Holy Spirit as present in your life and yet not be president of your life. It is possible for the Holy Spirit to indwell you and yet not control you. But the ministry of the deacon was to be a man who was controlled by the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, a man of wisdom. Now there's a difference in knowledge and wisdom. And this is no reflection on a person who has great knowledge because we need knowledge. I think for a man to quit school when he has the ability, the finances to go on and complete school, that man sins against his future. Maybe sins against other people's future because God could use him. And all of us need a little, need a little bit more sharp, need to be a little bit more sharp. And we need to sharpen our tools. But all education institutions can give us is knowledge. And this scripture does not say that the man needs to be filled with knowledge, though we need that. But he needs to be filled with wisdom. And wisdom is separate from knowledge. Wisdom is the discernment to know how to use the knowledge, the facts. And the office of deacon was to be filled with a man, not just a man who had a high school diploma or a college graduate or a master degree or a PhD degree. There's nothing wrong with those degrees. Sometimes though, in our churches and among Christians throughout the age, we have seen a person come into the church, somebody who is an educator, somebody who is filled with knowledge, somebody who is official in the public school system, somebody who is a professor at a college, and we've said, well, now that person, we're going to land on him and make him a deacon because he's a knowledgeable man. Why, that's not one of the qualifications at all. The qualification is that a deacon know how to use the knowledge he has in a wise way. And the only place a man can get wisdom is from this wonderful book, the Word of God. And so one of the qualifications for a man serving in the deacon, in the diaconate, is that he be full of wisdom. That means full of the book. If you know the story of Lottie Moon, Lottie Moon one day had a little boy come, and she used to keep a cookie jar, and she would give the little boys and girls cookies from the cookie jar. And then she would use that as a parody or a parable. And she'd say, just as your stomach gets full of this good cookie, your life needs to get full of the Word of God. And that boy bowed to Miss Moon. 
and said, I want to be filled with the Word of God. Deacons, that's what God wants. Men filled with the Word. Men full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, the wisdom of the Word of God. And then look again. Whom we may appoint over this business. Men who, who were appointable. Now there are lots of people. There are lots of people who have such busy schedules. They are so busy. They're doing good things. I don't mean busy doing devil things, ugly things, evil things. But they're so busy making a living. And they're so busy with this and with that and with all the things that have filled their schedule that frankly, they would not meet this qualification because they do not have time to be appointed over this business. And so one of the qualifications is that a man make room in his schedule to be appointed over this business or else not accept the work. One of the questions we have, and we have had it on this deacon, uh, you might say deacon plan of election that the church has had for years and years, is a question, an interesting question. It says, if you find that you do not have time to be a deacon, you do not have time to carry out the responsibilities that God gives you as a deacon, will you resign? This scripture says, whom we may appoint over this business. And so, we need to build into our lives time for God. Somebody said the, the way to get something done is to find the busiest man in town and ask him to do it. He'll get it done. You find somebody that's a loafer, somebody that fills his life with lots of sleep and lots of rest and lots of television and lots of picture shows and lots of luxury, and lots of fishing, and lots of lake. And that man doesn't have time to do anything for God. But you find a man that is busy, busy for God, busy in his business, and yet he loves the Lord God, and God is first in his life. That man will find time to be a servant of the Lord. And so the determinate qualifications. The apostle said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That's what we want to do. Brethren, it, it would be easier if I were preaching at an ordination service for deacons at some other church other than this one. So I'd like to say this, but let me say this anyway. Give your preacher time to study and to pray and be alone with God. Do it. You see, he can get by with it for a while. Nobody will know it except God, him. But after a while, if he has not time to be alone with God, it'll be obvious. Give your preacher time. That's what the original deacons were to do to so arrange things, to so serve the church, to so serve in spiritual places of visitation, soul winning, the ministry of the church, the work of God, that the apostles would have the time to read the Word, to study, to pray, and to preach. Well, there's something else. 
The saying pleased the whole multitude. Look in verse 5. And this was directed by the congregation. The saying pleased the whole multitude. And they, T-H-E-Y, that means the congregation. And in our church, our congregation elects the deacons. Year after year after year, you have wisely chosen men full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, men who were appointable, men who were willing to say, here am I, Lord, use me. And they, they, the church, chose Stephen, man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to pray in a little while. And we're going to lay our hands upon this man that the church has set aside to the ministry of the diaconate. Now, is there magic in that? Does that mean that when we come by and lay our hands on this dear man who has given his testimony already to us tonight, that that's going to convey to him some kind of grace or some kind of magic? There was a man in the Bible that thought that's what it was. And he, he said uh, that when he saw Peter lay his hands on somebody and that man was full of the Holy Spirit, he came sort of sidely, side to, to Peter and he said, hey, hey, Peter, I got some money here. I wonder if I could just give you some money and you give me that kind of power so I could lay my hands on somebody and they'd get that kind of thing. Oh, no. You see, the ordination laying on of hands is simply doing in the earth what God has done in heaven. It is only an earthly symbol, an earthly replica of what God has already done. And if God hasn't done it, then all that we do is foolish here in the earth. If we come by and lay our hands on a man on the earth that God has not already laid his hands on in heaven, then the laying on of that hands doesn't mean a hill of beans. Doesn't mean anything. Because you do, we don't give any grace. We don't give anything. And no kind of power. There's no kind of magic. It is simply the earthly symbolic replica of what God has already done. And it says, just as somebody laid hands on me and somebody laid hands on the one that laid hands on him and somebody laid hands on the one that laid hands on him that laid hands on him, down through the years, there has been through the years, the laying on of hands symbolizing the passing on of the torch, the passing on in the earthly scene of that which has been done in heaven and the earth and the church and the men and women and boys and girls of the church have seen in this man a man that God has his hand on. And in a little while when we come to that, that's what that'll mean. Now, in closing, let's notice what happened as a result. Beginning in verse 7, the daring accomplishments. So what? You have deacons, so what? What's the result of it? Well, now listen. If there is no result of electing deacons, then we ought not to have deacons. If there is no result of electing a pastor, then there ought not to be a pastor. If there is no result of the ordination of a man of God to be a preacher, to be a deacon, if there's no result, then it's somewhat foolish and folly. But there is a result. 
and we want to notice what happened. What is the standard? What should we expect as a result of tonight? What should we expect when a preacher gets ordained, when deacons get ordained? Well, here's what we should expect. Here's what happened. This is exciting. You ought to number the things that happened. There are at least five, maybe many, many others. I guess the whole rest of the book of Acts could be numbered. But notice these. Number one, and the word of God increased. <laughs> the word of God increased. What does that mean? Does it mean that more of the Bible was written? Well, I suppose more of the Bible was written after that. I'm not sure that's what it means. The word of God increased. That means that everybody was able to hear the word of God more because there were men who were willing to carry it and to carry the responsibilities of that church. And the ministry of that church was able to grow and grow and grow and grow. You see, the church started as a little handful. Our church started with 20 members 22 years ago, 19 or 20 members. I can get a few people here tonight that were here then. That church started with 120 members. Really, it started with 12 members when Jesus founded it in the 16th chapter of Matthew. And by the time the day of Pentecost came, there were 120 in the upper room. On the day of Pentecost, there were, there were 3,000 saved. And now we have 3,120. A few days later, there were 5,000 saved. Now we have 8,120. And then a few days later, they couldn't uh, add them anymore. They started multiplying, and they multiplied and multiplied. And somebody has said that by the time the 6th chapter of Acts opens, there were 65,000 believers in Jerusalem. Isn't that something? 65,000. Well, what happened as a result of this? The multitude, the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. And as a result of this tonight, we'll expect to see some people saved. Amen? We ought to expect to see the Word of God increase. Now, deacons, I don't believe that preacher or deacons, either one, are above sweeping the floor. Amen? I don't think that's a janitor's job. I don't think there are class jobs in the work of God. I don't think that we're above taking out a bedpan of somebody that's sick. I think that's what it means to wash the disciples' feet. But I want to say this. I don't believe that the Scripture is saying that the main job of the deacon is to sweep the floor. Nor is the main job of the deacon to wait on the tables, though this was part of it, because there was a murmuring at that time. There were problems, and this was part of it. And wherever there's a need, we need to jump in and do what God says to do. How are we going to find out what the main job is? We'll just look at the result and we'll find the main job. Number one, the Word of God increased. Number two, the multitude of the disciples grew. There was a multitude of the disciples in Jerusalem. They increased greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What does that mean? People of influence began to lift up their eyebrows and look and they, they took notice that something was going on there because here were men ignited by the fire of God and they went out ablaze in a fire for God. And then, notice in verse 8, and Stephen. You could just stop there and preach the rest of the night, the rest of tomorrow, and all day the next day. And Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost and power, did great miracles in the 
sight of God, he got up in the street of Jerusalem and gave his testimony. He said, I want to tell you what Jesus did for me. I thought you were just supposed to wait on tables, Stephen. I thought that was your business. I thought you were just supposed to smother grumblings and murmurings and problems and so on. I suppose thought you were just supposed to take care of the business. Oh, no, no, said Stephen. Oh, I love Jesus too much. And I've been listening to what Peter's preached and John's preached and James is preached. And I, I tell you, I got some fire in my soul. I got to go out and tell it. And so Stephen went out in the streets of Jerusalem and stood on the street corner and talked about Jesus. I long for the day when our deacons lead our young people and lead our church out to have open-air evangelism out on the streets, downtown, on the other side, out of the parks, somewhere, and say, hey, everybody, here's what Christ has done for me. He redeemed me by the blood of the Lamb. Deacons lets us be the main keys in that. Let's not sit back here in Cynic's Corner and say, well, don't like the way that guy did. He took some of our equipment over there and he did this and that and the other. Don't do that. Brethren, get out on the firing line. Lead the way. Be right out there in the front and take a stand for Christ. If you don't like the way somebody else does it, you get out and do a better job than they're doing. I think that's what God wants us to do. I think that's what God wants me to do. That's what God wants you to do and all the rest of us. That's what Stephen did. And I'm telling you, that's what the Word of God says. And look what else. <laughs> I believe he had read in advance what John said, that Jesus said in, John, in Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. And Stephen said, well, I don't love my life. I just really don't care what happens to me. And he went out boldly and talked about Jesus. He talked about how Jesus was alive from the dead. And when they heard about that, they said, you shut up. You shut up. I told you to shut up. Stephen said, I can't shut up. I've had a glimpse of Jesus. Now listen, if the only reason you're out witnessing is because some preacher told you to, the only reason you're out witnessing is because some church voted it, if the only reason you're out witnessing is because you think you're under pressure, and I tell you, I get sort of sick of people saying, oh, preacher, don't put me under pressure. If that's the only reason you're serving, you ought to resign and quit it all. If you didn't get it from God, then don't do it. But don't pretend like you're doing it. Get out there and do it for Christ's sake because God put it in your bones. And if it isn't in your bones, get on with God until God gets it in your bones. That's what God is saying. And Stephen got out there and he said, Peter didn't tell me to do this. Jesus, Jesus told me. I want to tell you I've seen Jesus and the Lord Jesus died for me and he was buried and he was raised from the verse 5 here's the fifth result then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. You don't see a word in the Word of God about these men getting all sick and afraid and fearful that the church was going to go under because they didn't have enough to pay their money, enough to pay their debts. You don't see that anywhere. When they needed money, they went before God and they prayed. When they needed something, they asked God for it. Deacons, I, that's one thing I admire about you. I respect you. You know what makes a great church? 
A great church is a common, a great people is a common people committed to a great cause. That's what it is. A common people committed to a great cause. And we have the greatest cause in the earth, the cause of souls being snatched as brands from the burning of hell. Why has God been able to bless Glendale Baptist Church? Oh, listen to me, please. Why do we have those buses? Why do we have a Christian school? Why do we have buildings? God has blessed us. These buildings worth over $800,000. Why has God blessed in seeing souls saved and lives changed? Listen, it is not the preacher. It's you men who have stood by the stuff and said, come on, preacher, let's go together. Let's go forward together. Let's serve God. Let's do, look in the Bible, find what God tells us to do, and then let's do it with all our heart and mind and soul. And you can't beat people like that. And you can't defeat them either. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, what's that mean? I used to think that when Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, I used to think that that meant that Jesus was so in his church that when the devil marched against the church and all the gates of hell came marching toward the church, that the church wouldn't be defeated. I don't believe that anymore. There are a lot of churches defeated tonight by devil, by Satan. There are lots of churches that are lukewarm and cold and liberal who don't care anything about souls and people are not being saved. Why? Because the church isn't doing what Jesus said for it to do. You know what Jesus said? He said, the, church, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. That means that when the church gets up and marches in faith, and goes out there on the outer echelons and says, here I am, Lord. I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm, I may be scared. I may be afraid. But I'm here because you said to go. God said that, that gate of hell will fall in your face. And it will fall one after another, after another, after another. Oh, while you're doing it, some of your men may be martyrs. You may have to shed some blood. But I want to guarantee you one thing. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the march of the church. I believe that. And I believe when Glendale Baptist Church marches under the banner of the love of God and we get up and go like God says to go and we do what God says to do, that the gates of hell will not prevail. They'll not be able to stand and all the devil's crowd will have to run. And I want to call on you not to compromise. Get some convictions in your soul. Men, now you don't have to do this, but this is your preacher's conviction. And I wish you wouldn't make fun of me. I don't mean because I'm afraid of being made fun of. I've been made fun of lots of times. But I mean because we're pastor and deacons together. Men, as long as there's a place in this city to buy your groceries in a dry store that does not sell liquor, do it. Don't go to these liquor joints to get your Cokes and your candy and your the corn and your beans and your beef. Take a stand against it. Say to those men, we've got stores here and as long as there's a store in this city that does not sell liquor, I'm going to that store. 
And if you would take that kind of a stand over and over and over again, there are a lot of these other stores that have been compromising it to take the beer and whiskey out. Now, I believe that. I want to call on our deacons to take, be pace setters in that. And then deacons, I want to call on you to be pace setters in this ministry of soul winning and evangelism and visitation and hospital work. I was blessed the other night. I was up at the hospital and I was, I don't know what time it was, sometime in the evening. And there were two old men and they had a piece of paper in their, pocket, in their hand like that and their hands shook like that. It was about nine o'clock at night and they stopped at that lady's desk and I could tell they wanted to know somebody to visit and they were asking where so-and-so was and they said, my pastor gave me this name and, and he said, I, another lady at the church asked me if I'd visit. I overheard what, she, what he was saying and somebody else asked me to visit this name and, and uh, we're, from, we're deacons from such and such a church and uh, we want to go see these. Would it be all right? They were real humble. They walked in and said, we're deacons, we want to go. No, they just said, could we go? And those, I, I could just see that those ladies at that reception desk melting. And in one of their eyes, there was a little tear. They were old men. There was a little tear in one of those ladies' eyes, and she wrote the names down for them. And everywhere I went that night in visiting, uh, I'd run into those men in the hall. They'd be, they'd be looking up to the door numbers, and they didn't know where they were. And they'd ask me, do you, do, which door is next, and so on. And I, I'd sort of help them. I, I said, God, thank you for men like that. Now, deacons, let me urge you to do that. Be pace setters in hospital visitation, in the nursing home visitation. Our young people put you and me to shame. They go out there and visit those nursing homes every week, week after week. Let's do that. If we're too busy, let's not be deacons. If we're not too busy, then let's do it. Amen. I don't hear many amens. But I believe it. I believe it. Now look what Philip, what happened to Philip in Acts 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke. This is the fifth result. Now Philip was a deacon, and he went down and preached Christ to those men. And there was great joy in the city. Great joy. Every time you preach Christ, there's going to be great joy. Every time... You go out and witness and win somebody to faith in the Lord Jesus, there's going to be great joy. Joy. I'll tell you, it's a joyful thing to see a man that's been won to Jesus come and take a stand for God and then go on with God. Serve the Lord. That's not the end. The last part of chapter 8 Right in the middle of that preaching in Samaria, a great revival ensued in beginning in verse 26. And an angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go to the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went down. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his, prophet, in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. You know the rest of the story. The Spirit said, go, Philip, and draw near. And Philip went up and he said, do you understand what you're reading? I think he had a smile on his face. And the man said, well, how can I except somebody show me? And the, the, the man just leaped up there. Philip just leaped up in the chariot. And he said, here, let me show you. Let me show you. Here it is. Now, you've been reading Isaiah. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. And it wasn't long until that Ethiopian eunuch 
down in Ethiopia. His skin was a different color. He got saved. And I suppose in the meantime, Philip did a good job because he told him about baptism. And the man said, well, now look, here's water. What does it hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You see, when, God, when man gets saved, he wants to be baptized. That's the next thing. <clears throat> and so the, the, they stopped the chariot, and they went down into the, into the water, and, and Philip baptized him, and they came up straightway out of the water. <laughs> now listen to the result. The Ethiopian people today, Halle Selassie, that great man of God who's gone now. The Ethiopian Christians do not trace their spiritual lineage back through the Roman Catholic Church. They trace their spiritual lineage back to Philip and that road that led down to Gaza. And they say that Ethiopian eunuch brought the gospel to us. You see, the first man won, as far as I can tell, the first man won on a foreign mission field, or that became a missionary, was won to Christ by a deacon. And that was part of the modern missionary movement. That was the great heart of the central theme of the gospel, to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Brethren, there isn't anything in this book, to my knowledge, that would convince us that a deacon's ministry is primarily to run things. He is rather to be a runner for Jesus. The preacher and the deacon together <clears throat> are to run a race, sort of a contest, to see who can get out there on the front lines, the battle lines for God, and gather as many precious souls to Jesus and hold them up before him and say, Here, Lord, here, Lord, here they are. Because one day we're going to give our report. You know, I know of churches that have, <clears throat> have reports, have regular reports, deacon reports. And I, uh, several times people have asked me about that. I want to tell you it embarrasses me. I'm the kind of man that's hard to say, Charlie, I want you to turn in your report this week and tell me how many visits you made and all this kind of thing. It might be a good plan. might be the thing we ought to do. But I want to tell you, you really don't have to give your report to the preacher, but you do have to give it to Jesus. I have to give my report to Jesus. And one day, when I stand before him, Jesus is going to say, Richard, did you tell those deacons that they're going to have to give a report? I'm going to say, yes, Lord. I remember back there on, on uh, the 17th of uh, July. That night, I, I tried to remind them, we're going to have to give a report. The preacher, the deacons, all of us are going to stand one day and we're going to give a report. And that's the reason I preach with a heart like this tonight. I love you. I love you, church. But I want to tell you, we're going to have to give a report to the Lord. And that report is going to be the basis for whether we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you need Jesus. Because he is the theme of he is the hub in the middle of the wheel. He will give pardon, peace, and purpose, and power. Before Jesus came, people were in darkness. The Jews were in darkness. 
The pagans were in darkness. Oh, you say the Jews, they had the knowledge of God? Yes, but they didn't know how to get to God. God was distant and far from them. They had to go to the temple. And they had to worship through mediators. I went to a Jewish synagogue not long ago, and my heart bled as they opened up there where our baptistry is, they opened the, the gate that symbolically behind that was the Torah, the Ark of the Covenant, and so on. And they're still under a dispensation. God is far away. They don't exactly know how to get to him. When Jesus came, he changed all that. The way to get to Jesus, is to get to God, is to just come through Jesus. For the Bible says... He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if you'll come to the Father through Jesus tonight, he'll save you. Let's close our eyes in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. <clears throat> our Father, we love thee. And we want to confess again that thou art our God. And Lord, if I know my own heart, I have not stood here tonight as a know-it-all. Everything I've preached to others, I've preached first to myself. And I want to tonight, in the presence of these precious men of God, deacons, rededicate, renew my own life to Thee and ask for a personal cleansing that I might be full of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray the same thing for each of these men, that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then, Father, we pray that in this congregation tonight, men and women and boys and girls who do not know the Lord Jesus, may they come to Christ tonight. May this be a night of salvation. Somebody will be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. May we stand, please. <clears throat> We're going to sing, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Now listen, the invitation is simple. If you're here tonight and you have never been saved, you need Jesus. You need him as your Savior. You need him as your Lord. I want to beg you to come to Christ tonight. Don't let this night pass without receiving Jesus as your Savior. <clears throat> if you're already saved, I believe there are some here tonight who ought to come making a recommitment of your life to just say, I want to serve the Lord in a better way. I want to be what God wants me to be. While we begin to sing, who'd step out for the King, Christ Jesus. Will you do it for His glory? While we wait, while we pray, who will come first?